Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com slash suryadas. Um, it's that the Buddhaness within may all realize it and be benefited by it. The Buddha within, of course, is not a thing or a statue. And within just means pervasive or innate, not just within me or within you only, within only Buddhists or believers or within humans or just within men and not women or just within humans and not animals, as some religions think, you know, the soul or the spirit is only in humans, not animals, and so forth, depending on where we draw the line with our conceptual imputations put upon reality, superimposed upon reality, like national borders, so arbitrary, so temporary. So, Buddha-ness or Buddha-nature, Tathagatagarbha, is considered innate in all beings, human and otherwise. All consciousness, all sentient beings, not rocks necessarily, but all sentient beings, however small they may be, even bacteria, they say. Of course, when we talk about Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, the three jewels, as we do Dharma, Sangha, Buddha, the three jewels in the refuge session that we chant at nine o'clock, I believe, in the morning, or is it seven o'clock? At nine o'clock in the morning, Buddha Dharma Sangha, representing enlightenment, the liberating path, and the community of awakeners. Not just the historical Buddha, but taking refuge or relying in enlightenment, awakefulness itself. Not a person, not a personality or personality cult, but Buddha, the archetype or the icon embodying it, the archetype embodying the principle of enlightenment, of awakefulness, of fulfillment, or, or total potential, however you want to look at it. In Tibetan Sanjay, totally purified of the negative and totally blossomed or accomplished of the positive. Buddha. And Dharma that which liberates or that which heals, the liberating path or teachings, and Sangha, the community of awakeners and liberators, kindred spirits that help each other on the way. So that's our reliance here. And also the inner meditator's refuge, the three jewels, the Buddha, taking refuge in Buddha, in our own nature, our own nowness awareness, our own Buddha mind, not something outside, not a guru, not a stat mere statue or idol, we're not idol worshippers. But in meditation, resting in the nature of mind, not looking outside for anything, not looking inside for anything. It's not even a thing. And yet it's sort of includes everything or pervades everything. And is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Like the center, the circle whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere as I mentioned yesterday. 
So in the meditator's refuge, resting in the empty, open, luminous nature of mind includes Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, enlightenment, the enlightening, liberating path and practices and teachings, and the community itself of awakeners, all included in that. Our own body is like the Sangha. Our own energy is the Dharma, and our own heart-mind is the Buddha, in that sense. The inner meditator's refuge. So just resting in that, in our practice, is like an ultimate form of refuge, not just bowing or chanting a prayer. Unfortunately, most of us, and I don't just mean in this room, take refuge in or rely on our ego, our will, not to mention even further outside things. I mean, the ego, the will, the mind, thoughts, emotions, these are all exterior to our innate Buddha nature or innate spirit or the inner light. Although we might think emotions and thoughts are inside, they're inside compared to cars and skyscrapers and dogs, but they're exterior, external to our inner light or our spiritual nature. Usually we take refuge in these externals and even more in external externals, material things that we think are going to help us. We take refuge in money or power or being someone or our role in life or our group as opposed to other groups and so on. So here we're learning to come back home to what is reliable, to a reliable sanctuary where we can really find solace and succor and refuge. That's what refuge means like a port in a storm. We can rest in the eye of the storm in the luminous, senseless openness that's the nature of our innate spiritual mind, just to put some words on it. It's not mind, it's not heart. It includes body and soul, heart and mind, energy, spirit and psyche. So resting in that is like finding refuge, not just going for refuge, but actually finding refuge finding something to rely on. When we're agitated or upset, we can anytime take a breath and, quote, as it were, turn inward, take refuge. Find that still center, the eye of the hurricane, no matter how agitated the mind or the emotions or the body and energy might be. And we can embody Buddhahood right now in that way, regardless of our outer garments or haircut, regardless of our gender, Obviously, Buddhas are not just male. There's no gender in the ultimate. And we can embody it just by being, as we already are. That's why we call it innate great perfection. Primordial Buddha. Not just later, after we get enlightened, but recognizing and realizing that we're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to recognize that fact, realize who and what we are, recognize that fact, awaken to that reality. I'm not just wailing in the wind here. I didn't just make this up one day in a hot tub at Esalen. I'm quoting from the Hevadra Tantra, one of the great scriptures of Tantric Buddhism. As my own root guru, Kala Rinpoche, always used to quote from the Hevadra Tantra, from Sanskrit, of course. I'm speaking it in English now. We're all Buddhas by nature. Notice, not Buddhists. We're all Buddhas by nature. We only have to awaken to that fact. We're all Buddhas by nature. It's only adventitious obscurations which veil that fact. It's only momentary 
suddenly arising obscurations which veil that fact. So that's a very different perspective than the usual view of spending lifetimes of purifying all the crap, all the defilements and negativities and impurities as we often hear it. It's more like the view of recognizing that the sun is behind the clouds even on a cloudy day and is always there, always been there, predates the clouds and probably postdates them too. The inner light, the ever-shining Buddha nature, the ever-rising great eastern sun, as Trungpa Rinpoche used to call it. Ever-rising great eastern sun, not rising and setting like life and death, but ever-rising. It's something else he's pointing to, isn't it? Like the deep space that encompasses our little local earth atmosphere that we call the big sky. But the deep space so much bigger, predating and post-dating the local atmosphere that won't last forever. So being in touch with that, the absolute view or the absolute truth, the absolute reality, the ultimate reality, these are Buddhist terms, while dealing with relative conventional reality here in this planet embodied with cause and effect, virtue and vice, healthy and harmful, and so forth words, thoughts, and deeds, actions. Balancing the absolute, shunyata, mystery, subjectivity, emptiness, with the relative causation of karma and compassionate action. So in Dzogchen tradition, we call this swooping down from above with the view, the bigger picture, the absolute outlook, while climbing up from below, as if climbing a spiritual mountain path while climbing up from below through relative practices according to our capacity and inclination, swooping down from above with the absolute view, the big picture view, while climbing up from below, not contradictory to, not choosing one or the other, but complementary, in balance, swooping while climbing. This is the great middle way teaching of Mahayana and Vajrayana Buddhism, including the absolute and the relative at the same time. So even when we just do a very basic relative practice, like let's say bowing and taking refuge, let's say lighting a candle on an altar, let's say giving food or alms to a needy or a hungry person or medicine to a sick person, which is a good deed, which is a positive karma, which is a relative practice, still being in touch with that bigger picture, not having illusions, like this is going to make me enlightened, then I'll be enlightened. You know, there's a lot of I and a lot of expectation and illusion in that statement. For example, when you're bowing, one person might be bowing to the idol that's on the altar, another person might be just bowing without notions of something to bow to or anyone bowing. That would be more Zen or Dzogchen style of bow. You with me? That's an absolute practice. That's not just idol worship. Are you with me? That's not just idol worship. That's why here we don't emphasize a lot of the outer general rituals of Buddhism or of Tibetan Buddhism bowing and candle lighting and um, walking, circumambulating st holy things like statues or places, 
Um, I don't tell you things like you might hear if you're in the old country. Don't point your feet toward the altar or toward the Buddha. It's bad karma. And don't step over the teacher's shoes. It's bad karma. And don't, you know, this and, you know, do that. We're not stressing that here in this Dzogchen retreat. This is a Dzogchen retreat. We're focusing on that, not many other things that we practice throughout the year, like Nundro foundation practices, compassion meditation, mind training, attitude transformation, and so on. Not practicing that here. So swooping with the view while climbing from below to relative practices. Still, we're here, relatively speaking, in our body. We're having a meditation retreat. We're a vegetarian. We're nonviolent. We're celibate. We're um, patient and helpful and generous and all that. We're practicing the relative moral and ethical precepts at the same time. So that's the climbing part while swooping with the view, not having unrealistic expectations of being goody two-shoes. You know, goody two-shoes can only take you so far. You might even be proud of being goody two-shoes. That's not good. Pride comes before a fall, as Buddha said, or someone of course, goodness is next to godliness, yes, but it's still next to. Next to. So swooping while climbing. You can, if you study Buddhism, Mahayana Buddhism, there's always the teachings on the absolute, shunyata, the great shining void, and the relative truth of karma, cause and effect, compassion, morality, etc. The ten paramitas of the bodhisattva. So we combine them both here. Buddhism is always explained from the bottom up, not here. From the bottom up, from the bottom, Shila, Samadhi, and Prajna. You can read all about this in Awakening the Buddha Within, Eight Steps to Enlightenment, the basic eightfold path taught by Buddha. The three trainings, eightfold path, three trainings, Shila, Samadhi, and Prajna. which if you break it out is the Eightfold Path of right act, wise action and wise speech and wise view, wise intentions and so on, wise mindfulness, etc. But here at Dzogchen Center, we're practicing just Dzogchen for the moment in this short one-week retreat. I know sometimes even one hour seems interminable, but in the context of spiritual, a spiritual life is just a short interlude here, a one-week retreat, focusing on the Dzogchen practice of seeing through Tregchud, cutting through, seeing through Dzogchen meditation, awareness practice, focusing on that. So we have something to take home and practice the rest of the year, along with our studies and other practices we may do, whether it's yoga, psychotherapy, chanting, or for that matter, Sufi dancing, um, Vipassana meditation, or other things you may do. You know, who knows? You may even like work, make love, have kids. You know, there's all kinds of shit going down. You never know. The relative practices from our point of view, which are so important. And the, every relative practice is much enhanced when you have or integrate the view, the bigger picture. So trying to emphasize that here not good deeds and other things, or social activism, things that the rest of the year we are involved in and emphasize. But Dzogchen is more the view from above, swooping down from above, introducing directly our true nature, our Buddha nature, not 
many lifetimes of purifying and schlepping, beginning with ethics, and then getting to samadhi, concentration, and mindfulness, and then eventually developing wisdom and selfless love. As in the general Buddhism, this is swooping while climbing. So with the view that it, all beings are like Buddhas by nature, we try to recognize that. That's the meditation or non-meditation that we get used to. Are you with me? From the view... That defines what kind of meditation we do, which is not a purification meditation, which is not a concentration meditation, which is not a healing meditation, which is not a, there are other kinds of meditations, not an analytical deconstructing meditation, not an attitude transforming low jung meditation, not a tonglen exchanging self and other meditation, not a compassion meditation, not a loving kindness meditation. It's a non-meditation of getting used to possibly just being, being Buddha as is. And we don't even have to superimpose concepts of Buddha, just being. And it's hard to practice being natural. So we have a few little tricks and tips and pointers, like sky gazing. Instead of just saying, sit there, let your mouth hang out, drool, we make it into a meditation called non-meditation, sky gazing. Maybe you heard me instruct. Eye open, ears open, nose open, mouth open. Yes, mouth open. Everything open, as at ease. Not concentrating, not staring at the sky, not counting the clouds, not waiting for our starship to come in. No, just being. It's a metaphor for openness and awareness. 360 degree radial, spacious clarity and awareness. Swooping from above with the view of everything perfect and complete, a lawful unfolding as it is. From that comes the meditation of leaving things as it is, being as is, seeing as is, being as is, seeing through relative, momentary, impermanent, ownerless appearances, outer and inner phenomena and noumena, seeing through, being through, cutting through, treachered, in the form of sky gazing. This is the main practice of the Dzogchen tradition wherever you go wherever you learn it. So from this great summit, this peak vehicle view, comes the meditation of non-meditation, of not doing, but relying more on the Taoist part of ourselves, relying more on being, with a capital B. And from that naturally evolves spontaneous, proactive Buddha activity, if needed, not compulsive, missionaryizing activity, because we ourselves need to to feel better, or for whatever reason, we're driven. So first, from on the left side, that's more like reconditioning our negative into positive, gradually, and on the right side, deconditioning, undoing the habit of overdoing, through doing less, just sitting, just walking, just being, and so forth. And then the little tune-ups and tips and pointers that come with it, the pith instructions, the meditative experiential tips and pointers and so forth. Like in the middle of a session today, I introduced the ah-ing, ah, the Dzogchen mantra, ah. It's very hard to say ah without exhaling. It's very hard to inhale while you're chanting ah. It's hard to think, it's hard to do anything except decontract or let go. So that's the, the point, kind of fake it till you make it. If you don't feel relief, ah, yourself, and you might feel some relief, ah. 
You with me? It's one of those things, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Well, the chicken's in the egg, so they're both there. So you choose. So, ah, oh, what a relief. Oh, I, I, I'm still not relieved. I'll do it again. Ah. Oh, how silly. Oh, I'm laughing. Oh, that's fun. I'll do it again. Ah, see how it works? So there comes the action. And we'll talk about that at the end of the week, more Buddha activity, enlightened activity, compassion and action, service and so on. So now let's circle the meditation. Since I'm stressing, learning the Dzogchen meditation part, we've talked a lot somewhat about the natural great perfection, the innate great completeness, so Jen, the view, everything, just as it is, the justness of it all, the lawful unfolding, no accidents, the great acceptance of leaving it as it is, that's the meditation now. From that view comes the meditation, the great acceptance, leave it as it is, seeing it as it is, being as is, you being as is, not any special posture, gaze, not up, not eyes closed, not in, looking for the needle and hay, boot inside, like needle and haystack. No, the whole stack is Buddha needles. It's Buddha all the way down, to quote an old story. It's not Buddha underneath. It's not a needle in a haystack. From the point of view of the seeker, it's like a needle in the haystack. But from the point of view of Buddha, what did somebody say? It was like being inside that, or it was, they were inside their body or something. I, their body was inside them. It's a whole perspective shift. It's a figure ground shift. Like, not just looking up at the sky, but the sky and all the stars looking down at one's own small but significant karmic predicament. It's like the gargoyle that's on the front of your giant car. It's just a hood ornament. It's not an overwhelming, scary thing anymore when difficult emotions or negative experiences arise. Because we're identified with the totality, not with the little finite individual for the moment. So, the meditation of leaving it as it is, seeing through all impermanent, momentary, ownerless, selfless appearances. Excuse me, experiences, feelings, and thoughts, and everything. Not trying to get rid of thoughts and feelings and numbing out. That's a different practice. We have pills and bottles of stuff for that. Not suppressing our thoughts and feelings. That's a different practice. Integrating them with awareness, aware of thoughts, aware of feelings, aware of sensations, aware of smells and, and, and sounds and everything through all the six senses, and mind is the sixth sense organ. Aware of whatever momentarily arises, as I mentioned before, in the body-mind continuum in the present moment. That's Buddhist meditation. Not a constant construction project. As one of my teachers said, we don't, in this view, we don't have to build a bridge over the river of samsara to get to the island of nirvana. Just get out of the construction business. You don't even have to get into the flow. It's flowing through you right now. 
So this is the view meditation and action of Dzogchen, meditation of non-meditation, natural meditation, natural awareness, pure presence, not meditating on anything, not candle watching, breath counting, not visualizing something to concentrate on, not looking at a mandala, concentric drawing as a focal point. In this Dzogchen practice, of course in other Vajrayana practices, we do things like that for various reasons. It's called skillful means, methods. So in this meditation, we hear from the Dzogchen patriarch, um, Mm, lineage found master Longchenpa leave it as it is and rest the weary heart and mind just leave it as is and rest the weary heart and mind so that's different than trying to concentrate and see deeper and get deeper and get enlightened one day it's a different approach it's like sudden enlightenment as opposed to uh, complementary to gradual enlightenment although that's not exactly it either so sometimes it's called the Vajra shortcut, the diamond shortcut. The tantric path is a quick, powerful, and also risky. It's a path of energy. It's like a, a high mountain shortcut pass rather than following the valleys to wind through the mountains.